thinking about prayer, before we jumped into a new series, wanted to spend this week, today, this morning, talking about prayer. Where does prayer come from? Why do we pray? How do we pray? Many people in the North American church don't even know why do we pray, what to pray for, how to pray. We are, as one pastor said, uh, just when it comes to our prayer life, we are spiritually anemic when it comes to understanding what it means to be, live a life dependent upon God the Father. And so we're going to look at a, uh, just a few verses this morning, but turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And it's in Ephesians chapter 6, if you were with us in the spring, you might remember that we uh, went through this passage, but not at the very end, not the uh, last few verses uh, in this section called the whole armor of God. And Paul is writing this letter to an Ephesian church that is under persecution. They are broken, they are hurting, they are weak, and they are in need of a good word. And he goes through this litany of things to be strong. They want strength. They are longing to be made strong as a church. And he tells them to put on the armor of God. But at the end of this section in Ephesians chapter 6, particularly in verse 18 through 20, he gives us the key. He gives us the key to how to be strong. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20. Hear the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of God, no, the word of God stands forever. Amen. A few years ago, a research group called Barna Research, you might be familiar with them, conducted a study, a global study on revival. Revival can simply maybe be defined as those times in the life of the church, those seasons in the life of the church with an increased awareness for prayer and for Bible study, an increase in conversion and spiritual vitality. And they did a study on revivals, and it was interesting, it was fascinating what they came up with. They studied revivals from the time of the Protestant Reformation in the 1600s all the way to modern day. And what they found was this, that major revivals were breaking out globally almost every 50 years to the date. And what they found in America was that we were past due for a great revival. At the time it was 2015, at the time they realized we were 15 years past due for another great revival. The last great revival to hit America was in 1950 and we were past due. And you could even say, obviously, we're now in 2017, we're 17 years past due for another great revival. But as they continue to press further and research more, they found there is one place in Western Europe that is experiencing revival. And of all places, it was Scotland. Scotland, where the gospel had been dormant for years, there was an increased revival. People coming to Christ, people praying, people uh, uh, an increased awareness of spiritual vitality in the life of the church. So Barna Research picked up their gear and they went over to Scotland. What was the key to revival? 
What were the things that these churches all around Scotland that were seeing hundreds of people coming to Christ, what did they have in common? It was this. A sound commitment to the preaching and teaching of the word of God and weekly prayer meetings. Not great programs. Not great events. Not great staff. Not a great ministry model. The preaching of the word of God and weekly prayer. That's it. That's what they had. And they saw hundreds and hundreds of people all around Scotland coming to Christ and increased revival. And I want to send this message to Coral Ridge this morning. If we are going to be known for anything, if we're going to be known for anything this next year, it is going to be men and women who are committed to God's word and men and women who are committed to pray. If we're going to be known for anything this next year, it will be men and women who are committed to God's word and men and women who are committed to prayer. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, every day I spend typically two hours, two hours a day praying, but when I get really busy, I spend four hours. He said, I'm actually too busy not to pray. See, in our culture, we say, What? In our culture, we say, I'm too busy to pray. Martin Luther said, I'm too busy not to pray. The great Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the 19th century who led the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, saw revival breaking out in the 19th century, said what? When seminarians, three seminarians, three students in seminary came to his church to find out what the secret to revival was, After touring, giving them a tour of his study and library, he said, I'll let you into what the secret is to our church. I'll let you into what the secret is to revival. And with that, he opened the doors of the sanctuary and there were 700 people on their knees praying for the upcoming worship service. He says, I cannot tell you the reason for our success other than this group of men and women on their knees every Sunday, two hours before the worship service, praying for God to rain down his favor upon us. And so here in Ephesians chapter six, a people that are desperate to be rescued from their weakness, a group of people that are desperate to be made strong. And after Paul giving them a litany of things to put on, it's known as putting on the armor of God, he ends with these verses. But in everything and at all times, pray in the spirit as if to say you will never be rescued from your weakness. You will never be rescued from your season, this season of torment and struggle, unless you are a people that are on your knees praying. Praying not just sometimes, but praying at all times. And I want us to look at this briefly this morning, because the first thing that you see here in the verses that I read, particularly in verse 18, is Paul says how to pray. He teaches us how to pray. He says, pray at all times, how? In the spirit. Now you might look at that and wonder, what does that mean to pray in the spirit? How does one pray in the spirit? Well, in order to understand what Paul is talking about, we have to understand the job description of the spirit. We have to understand what is the role of the spirit in the life of the Christian. And we answer that question by looking at Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul gives us the job description for the role of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit, and the Christian. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 16, it says this, For you 
did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. See, the role of the Spirit there in Romans chapter 8 is to bear witness. To bear witness to what? To our spirit. See, and bearing witness to our spirit means what? To tell us that we are children of God. See, the role of the Spirit in your life, when Paul says to pray in the Spirit, it says that the Spirit is a witness. And in the original Greek, it actually means definitive witness. Paul is trying to say that we are all in a courtroom trying to justify our existence and our worth before God, and it is the Spirit's job to be the definitive witness in your life, to always remind you that you are no longer an orphan, but you are a child of the Father, that you have a Father, that you are a son or a daughter of God the Father. That is the role of the Spirit. So when Paul says pray in the Spirit, he is saying pray with a humble confidence that you do not go go and pray to a God, this far off deity in the clouds, but you are praying as an orphan that has been rescued and adopted by God, your heavenly father. So we can pray as a child. And for some of us, we look at prayer and we think about prayer and we go, I don't even know what sometimes to pray. I don't know how to pray or what to say. And that's the whole point. That God, our Father, listens to us, and even in our jumbled mess of trying to figure out what to pray, he receives us as desperate sons and daughters, as desperate children who sometimes don't even have the words to speak to God, and he hears us and he listens. Our minds cannot even begin to comprehend this morning how much we mean to the Father, that he would be willing to even listen to us his sons, and his daughters. So how do we pray? We pray in the spirit with a humble confidence, with a humble boldness, knowing that the spirit is bearing witness to our spirit, constantly reminding us, you are a child of God. Go to God, your father, as a child, as a son, as a daughter that would go to God, the father. That's how we pray. We pray in the spirit. But Paul not only tells us how to pray, praying in the Spirit, he also tells us what to pray. In verse 18 it says, praying at all times with all prayer and supplication, what? To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. He says, don't just pray for you. Pray for everyone. Pray for all of the saints. Why? What is God doing in the church? You see, what the gospel does is it brings us together and it makes us one from all different backgrounds and demographics, people that came to Christ as a child and people that came to Christ when they're 60, people from different cultures and different areas of the country and different areas of the world. He is bringing us together to make us one people, to make us one body, to make us one church. So he says, when you pray, just don't pray for yourself pray for all of the saints. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 2, what does it say? Paul says what? Carry one another's burdens. Why? Because we're one. When your son is ill, that's my son that's ill. When your family is broken, that's my family that's broken. When that's, when you're going through a season of suffering, I'm suffering. 
We suffer together, we rejoice together, we raise our children together, we raise our families together, we lament together, and we praise and rejoice as one, make supplication for all the saints. But he goes on further, he says, not only what do we pray for, for all the saints, but he says in verse 19, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul is saying, not only pray in the spirit and not only pray for one another, but pray for the what? Pray for the gospel being preached. Pray for the advancement of the gospel. Do you know that the majority of North American prayer groups focus solely on the sick? And don't get me wrong, that's where we should be focused, but that should not be our only focus. Not only should we be praying for the sick, we should be praying for the advancement of the kingdom of God. We should be praying for the announcement of the gospel. Paul is saying not only praying for each other, but would you pray for the ones, those that have been called to advance the kingdom of God? And I ask you this morning, are you willing to pray? Are you willing to pray this year for those that have been called to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? I ask you this morning, would you be willing to pray for me? Every day, as I've been called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, amen, thank you. Would you be willing to pray for your pastors? Would you be willing to pray for Adam and for Dwayne and for Dylan and for Leo and for Paul that have been called to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ here at this church? Would you pray for our amazing staff, those that lead worship, and for Julianne and the team, and for our amazing staff, our children's directors, and our youth pastors, and our people that work in outreach, both on staff and on our volunteers, to bring renewal to our community? Would you be willing to pray with them? Would you pray for our elders, and for our deacons, and for their spouses? Would you pray for our spouses? Would you pray for Joel Satterley, our headmaster at Westminster Academy, and his staff as they work to minister to the next generation here in South Florida? I ask you, would you be willing to pray that God would continue to reconcile people and make all things new right here at Coral Ridge for the sake of South Florida? Would you be willing to pray? I ask you. And lastly... Paul not, only, Paul not only tells us how to pray, he not only tells us what to pray for, but it's important for us to ask the question, where do we find the power to pray? What moves you to pray? And it's actually found in another prayer. You see, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a story of Jesus right before his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's in the Garden of Gethsemane that he prays this prayer, Father, would you let this cup pass from me? You see, all throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, it's a story of two cups. It's, we see two cups all throughout the Bible. We see the cup of wrath and horror and death, and we see another cup, a cup of salvation and blessing and favor. And what Jesus is saying is, Father, I have only known favor. I've only known blessing. And now you are asking me to drink the cup of wrath and horror and death. Would you be willing to let this cup pass from me? And we know the answer that God gave his son, Jesus Christ. He says, no, I will not let this cup pass from you. And what moves the Christian to pray above anything else is this incredible truth that the cup of wrath and horror was not 
taken away from Jesus, but he drank it willingly in submission to the Father so that we, those that are in Christ, could forever drink from the cup of favor and blessing and salvation. The reason that we get up and pray, the reason that we can look up to heaven, to our heavenly Father, is that we pray as sons and daughters who have been adopted by God, and that we have access to the one that wasn't even willing to spare his own son. That's who we have access to in prayer and in life. Access to the one who gave us the cup of salvation and blessing. A counselor, as I close this morning, a counselor in his book uh, recalls a story of a young man who who grew up in a, a pastor's home. His father was a pastor and he spent his entire life struggling to gain the affection of his father. He actually said, said this, which was terrible, but he said, I long to see the man that I saw at church at home. I longed for his affection and his approval. I never felt like I was the man's man that he was, the thinker that he was, the the reader that he was. I never felt like I was able, ever able to live up to his expectations. And when this young boy grew old, he fell into all kinds of sin, into affairs, into stealing, into addiction. And the pain of his childhood was being manifested in his adult life. And as he was sitting with the counselor, the counselor asked him this question, these two questions, why are you doing this and what are you longing for. And with those questions, his lip began to quiver. He began to shake. And he said this, as a child, I hated football, but my dad loved football. And every Sunday afternoon, I knew if I was going to spend time with my father, I would have to sit up on the couch with him and watch football. And so I would climb up and sit down next to him, and without fail, he would tell me this, only sissies don't like football. But I would endure the abuse just to be with my father. I wanted to be with him. I wanted to be near him. I wanted to feel his affection and his approval. I just wanted to talk to my father. And there's some here today that all you long for is the approval and the affection of your father. And the good news this morning for those that are in Christ, you have more access and more privilege than you could ever hope for or imagine. You have a father, you have a dad that you have complete access to And that your father, through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, gives you access to a father that is more than you could ever hope for or imagine. I have never been more excited about ministry. I've been never more excited about what God has done and will continue to do through this church. I am so excited about the plans and the future of this church. And this next year, we can be known for a lot of things. But it is my prayer that above anything else, 2017 would be marked as a year that Coral Ridge is ultimately known for one thing. And that is a dependent people on their knees 
that Coleridge Presbyterian Church is known for the way they pray, how they pray, the fervency of their prayer, their dependence upon God our Father, a church on their knees. Would you be willing to commit to praying with me this year? Amen? Amen. Amen.